Before that, you obviously had that slow pit start, so it, it, before that, it could have gone much, much better. Yeah, I think uh, today a lot of things went wrong. Start went wrong, strategy went wrong, pit stop went wrong. So. My name is Arafat and I'm in the UK. And this is Mohammed and I'm in the United States. Welcome to Slow Pit Stop. <laughs> so. And I'm Asmara and I'm in Canada. Oh, I thought you were going to introduce me. Joining us from last week is our special guest from Canada, Asmara. How you doing, Asmara? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, no problem. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I think last week you predicted a double DNF and you said both Red Bulls. Well, you got half of that right. So I also said Danny Rick on the podium and I said it. That's right. Seriously. You did say that. And you so said I think that, I did pretty well. And you said that before free practice one, I think, before mm-hmm. like sprint quality. So pretty impressive. Good job. Good job with that prediction. So today we're going to talk about the new Formula One Sprint Quali race, uh, now that we've seen it for a second time, uh, the start of the Grand Prix, and then of course that incident with Max and Lewis, and then we're going to take a turn and talk about the Twitter Formula One fandom and whether or not it's too toxic. And then last but not least, we're going to discuss Daniel Ricciardo, our race winner for the first time since 2018 in a McLaren 1-2. Yeah, so um, we just had the Italian Grand Prix in Monza, known as the Temple of Speed. Um, for me, the most exciting thing at the start of the race, Vin Diesel and Usain Bolt showed up. Um, I know. But disaster struck almost immediately for one of the teams from Italy with Yuki Tsunoda the driver from AlphaTauri out straight away. And then pretty soon after, his teammate Pierre Gasly too. Um, Max Verstappen started on the front row with Daniel Ricciardo beside him and Danny smashed the start. He was he was straight up the inside of Max and took the lead. Uh, Hamilton managed to get into third and then was fighting for second. Had a small coming together with uh, Max, which pushed him back into fourth really because he had to take evasive action. Um, and then pretty soon, I think it was lap five, the Gasly retired, um, and Hamilton fell to about 4.5 seconds behind. There was a bit of wheel banging going on with lap 15 with Ocon and Vettel banging wheels, but it was nothing compared to Verstappen and Hamilton who found each other at the first chicane straight after their pit stops. By the way, both of them had a slow pit stop. We, we almost predicted this entire thing with, with the name of our podcast but yes um so there was a safety car with a restart at lap 31 and it was mclaren versus ferrari um at monza which i felt like hadn't happened for probably a decade maybe longer um and it just went on like that till the end with danny ricardo eventually coming home to win his eighth ever grand prix and uh, his first with mclaren Incredible, incredible scenes and almost a repeat of what we had last year with the shock victory of Pierre Gasly. But let's talk about Pierre Gasly because today his race lasted, what, all of four laps or something? And really the preamble to that is the sprint quality because he was totally okay until he suffered a crash in the sprint qualification. So how do we feel about sprint quality now that we've seen it twice? We've seen that it can definitely mix things up, but is it something that you think should remain in Formula 1? Is it good enough to keep it more competitive? I don't 
really know. I'm trying to remember what actually happened in spring quality because I feel like aside from the detrimental things like Pierre Gasly uh, crashing. So, and Yeah, so Valtteri started first because he was uh, qualified fastest in free practice and behind him was Lewis and then Max uh, and then Lando and then Danny and then Pierre Gasly. And at the start, Valtteri kind of just took off, but Lewis had an, a horrible, horrible start, probably the worst start of his modern career. He lost four places. Um, he said he had too much wheel spin, and he went from second to sixth. Uh, and then Pierre uh, hit Danny Ricardo, and he spun out. So that meant Lewis got to go up to fifth place, but he was kind of just stuck behind Lando. And Danny was able to skip Lando and get into third. Max was in second, not able to get past Valtteri. There were a couple smaller overtakes throughout the session. I think uh, Alonso and Vettel and then Ocon got ahead of Latifi. Uh, but other than that, after you could say the first, second, or in third laps, there wasn't really much going on. Uh, and then the race ended. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda had some contact as well. And he spun out, I think, with Robert Kibitza. Uh, and so that's why he was kind of out uh, this morning. But since Valtteri took his engine penalty, that meant he started last during the race and Max got uh, promoted to pole position, and then it was Danny, and then Lando, and then Lewis starting in fourth. How do you have so much energy and remember so much? Because it's only like 5 p.m. <laughs> for me. I feel, I feel so anyway, bad. My um, thing is, yeah, that's my carry on. Oh, no. I was just going to say that um, I feel like it's obviously high stakes in that it sets the grid, but in terms of actual points, it's not high stakes enough for people to want to risk too much so i guess that's why we don't see as much like overtaking or as many like like high risk moves which i guess is kind of what we saw with lewis being stuck behind lando for like basically the entire race um whereas you know maybe if it was actually like just the actual race he would have been a little bit more um bolder i like having a race on a saturday um uh, i'm a problem with sprint qualifying i like it in the sense i like having I think it's quite interesting to have a race on Saturday, but I feel like it just gives you randomness for randomness sake, like somebody crashing and then they have to start the race in last place, like Pierre Gasly did or Hamilton dropping back. I think I like the idea that Formula One is trying things to make the sport more exciting and better for viewers, but I'm not sure if I like this exactly. I think, I'm just not sure how I feel about the Saturday race setting the grid for Sundays. Yeah, I, I think having a race on Saturday is very exciting. Like, you wake up in the morning and it's Saturday and you get to enjoy a Formula One race and the lights go out and it's lights out and away we go. And you have that whole excitement factor and you get it on two days. So that's probably the only part I like about sprint quality because pretty much after the start, it's there's nothing. They're, the race doesn't do anything. They're just going in circles. But... Next year, they're supposed to be able to follow each other a lot closer with the new regulations. These cars are supposed to be slower. So maybe if they do a sprint race next year, we won't see any of this. I guess I just don't see, like, is there, was there a specific, and I honestly don't know, was there a reason sprint quality was introduced, like, in terms of, like, like people were wanting to try this instead of regular qualifying? Or was there, like, a, it's just solely for the excitement sort of factor? So my understanding is the reason it was introduced was just for TV viewership. They did things like this. You know, they've had different formats in Formula 2. They've mixed that up a bit. I think DTM has started something like this, and that improved television views on a Saturday. 
Um, so it's purely for that, it's to improve television viewership. And it was to give people a small race. You know, people that thought, oh, Formula One race is too long. It's a bit boring. Maybe they'll watch something on Saturday and go, oh, actually, this I like this. This is short, easy to watch. It's 20 minutes. Um, so it was done for the viewership. And I, I, again, I like that Formula One is trying to do things to make it more entertaining for the fans. But I'm just not sure about this. Uh, and let's talk about the start of the actual race. So Lewis Hamilton had a pretty good start compared to his awful qualifying start. He went from fourth. He overtook uh, Lando Norris. He was right up alongside Max Verstappen. And then they had their first touch of the race, first of two. And uh, Lewis had to back out, and he fell back to fourth. Um, what do you think about the start, Arfa? Do you think Lewis kind of fixed his mistake from last time? I think it was a good first lap. It was entertaining to watch. We had Daniel Ricciardo taking Verstappen. We had uh, Lewis Hamilton getting ahead of Norris. But then after he was off the track, whether he was pushed or chose to go himself, we'll get into it later, I guess, um, Norris got ahead again. And I think really for me, what was what made this race and what was so entertaining about it was the McLarens. Um, I think what we've seen this year is there have been races where, you know, randomly different people have been passed. I mean, you just look at the teams like McLaren and Ferrari who are fighting for third and fourth in the championship. There have been times where Ferrari have been fast and up there on the podium, just like McLaren were today. And there've been times when they're, you know, struggling to get into the top 10. And I think what we want to see from the future of Formula One is teams, every team having the ability to be that competitive, whereas you turn up one week and you could win the thing. And the next week, Oh, maybe you're not even in the top 10 because it's just so close. And, um, I think that's what we want to see. And I think that the whole Mercedes versus Red Bull thing can get a bit boring. Yeah. Um, I thought something that made this race different and more exciting than some of the other ones we've seen is that it actually felt like McLaren was, like when they had the lead, they were actually maintaining. And it wasn't just a matter of like, oh, when will Max get by? Because we saw that, um, you know, Max was within, I think, DRS range for a long time, but he was having a lot of trouble, like, uh, following closely behind the car for whatever reason. And Lewis had the same issue behind Lando as well. So obviously that made it really, um, really exciting because you have the thought of like, oh, like what if McLaren does hold on to these positions? But also, you know, when, whenever Max and Lewis do get close enough to overtake, it'll probably be really fun and exciting to watch. So I think that made this like, obviously a lot more fun because like this season, we've seen a lot of just like whoever gets ahead on the first corner is just gone and there's like no chance of anyone catching them um but obviously this like the pack was a lot closer and uh, so i mean like i personally really enjoyed it whatever came next i thought the start was the start was awesome and like really good on danny rick because it's been so long since he's been on the front row but he like took advantage of that like yeah uh so i think definitely we saw from the start daniel ricardo had an amazing start able to uh, overtake verstappen and he never looked back and he never gave that position back but then around lap 25 Lewis Hamilton went into the pits. He came out where Max Verstappen was, and then they had that incident. Arafat, what do you think that incident, them touching, having another accident, taking each other out, means for the future of the title fight? And who do you think was mostly at blame? I think everything that happened between Lewis and Max was a huge build-up because of the title fight. Had it just been the first race of the year, um, I don't think they would have come together. I think them coming together... There were so many little things that led up to that. So first, 
There was um, the fact that sprint qualifying, Lewis lost places. I think that put him, I don't know whether it affected him psychologically or what, but he was in the wrong place. Then Verstappen had a slow pit stop. It was over 11 seconds. He came on the radio and he was angry. He said, unless it's critical, don't talk to me. And he was swearing and you could tell he was in a bad mood. And then Hamilton had a slow pit stop. Okay, his was only 4.2 seconds, but still another slow pit stop. So they come out onto the exact same piece of track. And had they, you know, they've had all these coming togethers. We know Max is aggressive. He pushes people off. Um, I, I think he races fair, but just on the absolute limit. Um, and I think Lewis just went, no, we're, you're either going to give me space or we're going to have a crash. And that's the title fight was that moment of those two just saying, we're going to be on the exact same piece of road because we're just as fast as each other. And this isn't about who's going to win. It's about who's going to yield first. So Asmara, you said you are a big Lewis Hamilton fan. I almost said Max Verstappen, but you wanted him to DNF. He did DNF, but he took out your boy with him. What do you think is going to happen with this title fight? Do you think we're going to see them come back together? I'm sure we will. Um, I think it's because it's not only the stuff on track, but everything that happens afterwards. And obviously both sides are just, uh, you know, stoking the fire a bit. And I honestly, like, I watched the race this morning and then I had to do other stuff. So I haven't even been online very much, but I'm sure there's been loads of stuff from, you know, Christian Horner, Toto Wolf. I'm sure the drivers have said things too. I mean, you could even tell just from the body language of Verstappen when he got out of the car that he, I don't even know if he looked at Lewis, like, but he was so unhappy with it, obviously. Right. And I think Lewis in general was also unhappy this weekend. Like I think after sprint qualifying, you could tell he was like, uh, like, I don't even think he said much on Instagram or anything, which is kind of a big thing for him usually. So, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll see more of this. I think you're right. I think things have been building up earlier and people said this during Silverstone as well, but earlier in the year, um, Lewis was maybe a little bit less uh, aggressive and like, you know, backing out of fights because he didn't want things like this to happen. But as, uh, as the season goes on and there's less and less time, obviously each race becomes a little bit more, um, a little bit more important. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll keep seeing this, but yeah. So you're talking about the reaction after. So at the time of recording, Max Verstappen has been given a penalty, a three-place grid drop for the next race because of the incident. He was found to be more at fault than Lewis. I can't remember the exact phrasing. But for me, the second I knew uh, Max was going to get a penalty was Sky were intervening the, the team principals and Toto was just angry. He was just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, Max should have left space, backed out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he goes, you know, Lewis backed out in turn four on the first lap. Max should have done the same. And then the second I knew Max was going to get a penalty was when Christian Horner came. Oh, I was going to say gonna the argue same the other thing. Way. And he was just like, <laughs> oh, no, you know, this is racing. <laughs> it was a racing incident. You know, this happened. I'm like, oh, I thought the same thing. thing. <laughs> you know, I was just... As soon as Christian Horner was like, you know what? We need to take a mild-mannered, middle-of-the-road approach. We shouldn't put blame. I was like, that's it. It's Max's fault. Yeah, he literally (laughs) said middle-of-the-road. In this one. So um, one thing I wanted to touch on this week was, because I've been been looking at Twitter following the race, um, because I never really got into F1 Twitter before, but I didn't realize how divided people were and how angry people are. There's so many people that are, I don't know, in my opinion, just getting so carried away, you know, accusing Max of 
attempted murder and everyone's like oh max did this and hamilton fanboys are like that and max fanboys are like this and it's really interesting because some people are because martin brundle sort of sat in the middle of the road and went oh it's a racing incident and then there's these people online that are accusing him of being racist for not backing lewis and then there's other people that are like oh he's just a lewis fanboy uh no wonder he, he would say that against max and blah 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 and the guys literally said the one thing i think it's a racing incident and people are just pulling in different directions like what what, what do you think about the toxic fandom asmara yeah i would agree i think um especially this season um i found that i usually just don't even go on Instagram, like, I don't look at the comments on, like, F1 Instagram or F1 Twitter or anything like that, because, I, yeah, it's just a lot of really, like, inflammatory, like, reactionary stuff. Um, I do enjoy, like, obviously, there's sometimes, like, really good analysis, and it's good to get news, like, firsthand, like, breaking news is obviously always on Twitter, so I do enjoy that, but, um, and it, it sometimes takes away from the actual race itself, or it takes away from what happened on track because people get so carried away talking about like a rivalry. They don't talk about who actually won the race or good things that actually happened in the race. So, um, it definitely takes away a little bit from the enjoyment. So I personally like have, when I first got into formula one, I'd like followed everything and I was like really intense about it, but I've kind of stepped back from that because I find like when it's detracting from your personal enjoyment, like watching the race, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I think it's part of the, just the internet uh, culture at this point. I think the entire internet is just toxic because you, you see the same traits in like the Star Wars fandom and like really like so many places. Like in our first episode, we were talking about how it's in the K-pop fandom as well. And so I think it's not really going to change. I think, you know, if we had Twitter the way we have it now during Center Prost, we'd be seeing the same things. Um, I found a video from like 2010 about Sebastian Vettel. And all the comments were talking about how he's so arrogant and how he's so awful and stuff like that. And it was kind of in the comments of YouTube back then, but it's a little bit more mainstream now because it's on Twitter and Reddit and the rest of the internet. Um, but kind of on the subject of maturity, you know, last week we were talking about does Mercedes need or, or has Max Verstappen matured enough now to win a championship? But really, we saw him make the same mistake today that he made in Silverstone twice, actually, where he kind of backs his opponent into a corner and he expects to come out. But then, you know, he doesn't, you know, he was five points ahead in the championship. Did he really need to take that risk? Did he really need to be aggressive? If, you know, he comes out on top, he's going to win. If he comes out at, behind Lewis, you know, he's probably still going to have a lead. Even today, he still has a lead. So, I don't know. Do you think that Max still has the, like, do you think he has the mindset to win a championship? Is he playing the long game or is he still approaching this race by race? What do you think, Asmara? I think he has the winner's mindset in the sense that he really wants to win everything. So he has the like race winner's mindset, but I don't know. And maybe it's just because this is his first time kind of properly being in contention for a championship um, and, you know, being like the kind of, championship favorite I would say at this point um yeah I don't know I think my issue with Max's maturity often isn't like on the actual racetrack it's or it's just the things he does after like for example today um you know right after the incident he was on the radio saying like that's what you get or something like that like you know when Lewis yeah. hadn't gone out of the car yeah. yet I think things like that kind of put me off a little bit but I understand you know the heat of the moment and, he, and it's just a racer's mindset but I think that's more so my issue with 
with the maturity, but honestly, like I'm sure plenty of drivers in his position would do the same thing. So the, the stuff you're chatting about reminds me of, there was an interview I saw where David Coulthard, who's now a pundit for Channel 4, but used to race for Red Bull and McLaren. And he was the teammate of Mika Hakkinen, who won the world championship twice at McLaren. And he was talking about how him and Mika were different. And he said, you know, if we crashed or something, I would talk about, oh, this was my fault, whatever it was for Mika. It was always the other guy's fault. Mika just couldn't understand how he would do something wrong. And he said, maybe that's why Mika's a world champion and I'm not. And I think there is something about, you know, we talk about people being mature and clever and all of that, but maybe to an extent that's where you end up like Valtteri Bottas, where you win races and things. But so maybe you do need a bit of that fire and that immaturity. And, you know, I think Verstappen will be a world champion. Um, and I think it, it it's, it's that sort of killer instinct that he has. It's that aggression that he has that carries him. Um, and I think the reason they didn't back out was because it's so close. Um, if they weren't fighting for a world championship, I think they would have yielded. But because they are, I, th- I think they, they had to push each other. So one thing about this sort of toxic fandom and things, on the one hand, I think it's just humans are horrible. And like you said, this is arguments everywhere about K-pop, about wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, about getting a vaccine, not getting a vaccine, whatever. People just want to be in their camp and fight the other tribe. But I wonder, you know, what, the drivers of a certain generation, like Lewis Hamilton, like Alonso, they, they weren't there to be friends with each other. They said, you know, we're here to compete. We respect each other, but we're not friends, blah, blah, blah. Whereas now you have drivers coming through who are literally friends with each other. Charles Leclerc, Alex Albin, George Russell, Lando Norris. You know, they're posting pictures of each other. Uh, they go on holiday together. Um, I wonder if, you know, the new generation will help to heal divides. You know, but, but we're talking about Max and Lewis and Max and Fernando, and, and these are rivalries, you know. There's no big... Alex Albon and George Russell rivalry, at least not yet. I think if in the future, if it comes down to Lando Norris fighting for a championship against, you know, George Russell, which I definitely see that happening, I don't think we're going to see people who are so chummy-chummy between them. Yeah, but I see your point, though, Arafat, and I think it's also, I guess that's the flip side of social media. Like, that's the nice thing, because in the past, even if these drivers were friends, as fans, you wouldn't necessarily know about it. Whereas, you know, last year, for example, through lockdown, like the the four young guys were on Twitch all the time and now they post on social media and they congratulate each other. And you see like other drivers getting in on it too. Like um, in the last week we saw all these, all these moves and there was lots of drivers like Lewis and, and uh, like other drivers who were congratulating like George and Alex and stuff. So I think, I guess that's the nice side of social media is that we get to see that stuff and we actually get to see that internal part of like, the drivers off the track as well but what happens if they're actually like competing for race wins or if they actually exactly. start to get yeah. higher up in the order so um i mean i guess we'll see how we'll see how things go the other thing i find is that this is like almost unprecedented getting george russell alex albon landon norris i think zach brown was saying that going into the future every major team is going to have their major player and this, the stage is set like Mercedes says, George, McLaren has Lando, uh, Red Bull has Max, so Ferrari has Charles Leclerc, that's the other name I was trying to think of. So they're all going to have their major players, and maybe when they do start fighting, I don't think we're going to see it to be so chummy-chummy, but at least in the, right now they're all friends, and they're not really fighting tooth and nail that much. So yeah, I think that we're going to see the friendly social media posts and stuff now. 
I think it's good. Speaking of friendly media posts, though, you know, we've just kind of skipped over Alex Albin coming back to Formula One with Williams next Woo! year. You know, we, we pretty much said it last time, but uh, how did you feel as far as putting her hands in the air? <laughs> I was so excited. So the thing about being on Eastern Standard Time, like in Canada, is that you get the news like really early in the day. So I think it was like 8 a.m. for me or something. And I was driving to work and I saw the notification and I kid you not. I kept thinking about it while I was driving and just smiling because I was so happy for him. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it ended up coming down to, I'm sure it ended up just kind of coming down to F1 experience because I know people were talking about Nick DeVries for that seat as well. But I mean, I'm really excited about it. And it was really nice to see um, like lots of drivers congratulating Alex and, um, you know, hopefully I think we've seen Yeah, they were him. so happy. Yeah, I think we've seen Williams take like a step up this year. So hopefully they can keep that going for next year as well and like take some good momentum into next year. And yeah, I think the best thing to happen to Williams is that the Williams family left and they, they got bought yeah. out by another. Bye, Claire. Was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was uh, Latifi coming to the team. I think we've seen that he's an exceptional driver. I think Williams is really benefiting from Latifi's dad's money and for his <laughs> excellent driving. So did he, he out-qualified, like he's the first, yeah, he out-qualified George got out-qualified for the first time this weekend, right? Yeah. Was it the first time? I feel like he... Well, like... George was out-qualified by Valtteri in Bahrain. Okay. But this was the first time oh, in Williams. In Williams, though. No, I thought Latifi out-qualified. No, I think he, out, he finishes higher than Russell. But yeah, this yeah. is the first time that he out-qualified Russell as well. While we're speaking about Williams and Alex Albin, did you guys see the article from The Race by Mark Hughes that I sent you guys? Yes. Um, yeah. So just for our listeners, I think it was quite interesting, the politics behind potentially even who knows what's actually going on behind Alex Albin's move, because when they made the announcement, it wasn't made by just Williams or Alex Albin. It was made jointly with Red Bull. And if you zoom in on Alex Albin's shirt, because he's wearing a white shirt, which looks like Williams, but it says Alpha Tauri, yeah. which is the Red Bull clothing brand. So clearly he's maintaining some link with Red Bull. And what the theory is, because Red Bull's basically bought the Honda engines, they petitioned for the engine rules to be frozen until 2025, but they need a plan for engines after 2025. Maybe this is some sort of political move in the background. So we could potentially see a scenario in 2025 where Volkswagen make Red Bull's engines and Williams become some sort of extra junior team to Red Bull, just in the way Ferrari has, you know, Alfa Romeo and Haas, just in the way Mercedes right now has Williams and Aston Martin. What's his and word? McLaren. And McLaren, that's it. So, you know, one of the big problems with F1 is the, the teams are allowed to be involved in making the rules. And the more teams you supply with things, those are extra votes that you get. I yeah, it's, it's going to be a bit of a, I mean, there, there's going to be overall a power struggle. But, you know, Alex wearing the Afatari short shirt, I think that was probably because he's still racing for red bull in dtm and i think he's wearing the clothes from that no but... i mean that's never happened no announcement ever has ever had the drive that's a little means... strange yeah. yeah you look at even valtteri when he announced for alfa romeo was just wearing plain clothes that's what every yeah. driver does they always wear plain clothes yeah. and then next year they start like when ricardo got announced at mclaren it was just wearing plain clothes so this is this is different asmara as an alban fan do you think this is a yay redemption story or do you think he's being used as a pawn in a bigger engine political saga? I think even if he is being used as a pawn, it's still an opportunity for him 
Um, so, I mean, I'm sure that he's still thrilled about it, right? Because it is still F1. So I don't think that they would use him specifically as that pawn. Let's say if they didn't have like some sort of belief that he would still be like, he's still a good enough driver to be an F1. Like, I don't think that they would take that kind of risk on either side necessarily. Like, I mean, I'm sure like it'll be really interesting to see how things do actually play out in the next few years, for sure. The other problem is that Mercedes was already supplying like four teams themselves, McLaren, Aston Martin and Williams, and they're not allowed to supply more than that. And so that was actually an argument that they made when Red Bull was looking for engines. They were like, we don't want to supply Red Bull because we're already supplying four other teams. Speaking of Red Bull and Mercedes, do you think Mercedes definitely has made up the gap, the deficit that they had before Silverstone? I don't know. I think it, this season and the championship is still advantage max. You know, Lewis knows how to win a world championship. He pulls out, you know, the, in turn four, he took evading action because he knows when to pick a fight. And I think what happened when him and Max came together is because Lewis knows he has nothing to lose. Um, it, it's, it's for Max to throw this championship away. Hmm. Um, and I think Lewis is now driving like somebody who has nothing to lose. Yeah, I would agree. I think um, next race will be interesting, I guess, because of the three-place grid penalty. But I guess people were saying that um, Max is going to take his uh, like penalty for replacing the engine or something. Clearly, I'm not very knowledgeable about this. So he might start from the back of the grid anyway. Is that what, is that what the thinking is? Yeah, so Max has to take an engine penalty because he's on his third and final engine and it doesn't have the mileage to get to the rest of the to the end of the season so he needs to take a fourth engine previously you you were allowed to take a fourth engine uh, but this year they changed it so you only had to use three engines so he has to take it they were already kind of thinking of taking it in russia because you can um overtake in russia and it wouldn't be too bad uh, like we saw valtteri today started at the end of the field and he ended on the podium when he took his engine penalty mm-hmm. so I think that's probably what they're going to do because what what does a three-grid place matter if you're already at the back of the grid? Yeah. I mean, I guess um, I, I kind of agree. Like, my gut feeling is that it's still sort of Max's championship to lose, even though it's only, like, a five-point difference. But, I mean, certainly, like we've seen today, there can be lots of curveballs. Let's get to the end of the race. Daniel Ricciardo took the lead at the start, led every lap, fastest lap, driver of the day, and his first win since 2018. Uh, He was ecstatic. I think everybody was ecstatic. I said a couple podcasts ago, my goal for him is to win a race. And he heard me. He took it to heart. He won the race. So thank you, Daniel, for winning the race. Arfa, why don't you give us a quick rundown on Daniel Ricciardo and why everybody across all teams and fandoms is happy for his win. He came into Formula 1 a long time ago. He was with Hispania Racing Team, uh, and then he moved to Toro Rosso and graduated up to Red Bull in 2014, where he beat Sebastian Vettel, who was the reigning world champion. Um, He took seven wins with Red Bull before moving to Renault, as it was becoming apparent that was becoming Max Verstappen's team. The Renault thing didn't really work out. He managed to get on the podium, but, you know, no wins or anything. And so he's moved to McLaren and he's really, really struggled. He's more or less been consistently behind Lando Norris. Um, And loads of people suddenly went from talking about Daniel Ricciardo as one of the best drivers in F1 to, is this the end of his career? So, you know, he said it at the end, you know, to everyone that thought I'd disappeared, I hadn't. I'd just taken a step aside, but I'm back. Um, and I, I don't think there was anybody out there that was unhappy to see him win. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree. I think um, 
the narrative around him has been very interesting the last few seasons. Like because of the fact that he made the move when Red Bull was still kind of at the top of the um, at the top of the grid, and you know people were thinking that he solely kind of did it as like an ego thing, whereas he could have stayed there and still won won races and things like that. And then he moved to Renault, where obviously like it seemed like that wasn't really a great move. But then he moved here when maybe Renault started, or moved to McLaren when maybe Renault started looking up. Like he actually had a podium with them last season as well. So and then obviously the really tough season he's had. So I think the narrative around him has been has been very interesting. Um, I guess just because it was so unexpected. Like I remember before the season, people were saying, oh, he's going to like totally destroy Lando every race and, you know, Lando's not going to have a chance. And then right from the get-go, it was clear that that was not going to be the case. So it's kind of like redemption for him for the last few seasons, for sure, um, for him to be back at the top. Um, and yeah, I mean, I personally am really excited to see McLaren kind of back at the, at the top. It's my first time seeing him. Unlike other shock winners, like we had Espinal Gunn, we had Pierre Gasly, he took the lead from the start, and he kept the lead the whole time. It's not like there was some crazy red flag that jumbled up the field, and because of that, he he got ahead. Or it's not like there was some mistake, and because of that, now he's ahead. He fully, 100%, deserved the win. He took it from the start, and he kept it the whole time. He had Max Verstappen behind him for the first half of the race, and he fought him off, and he didn't give an inch. And, you know, he, there was always the threat of Valtteri Bottas, and, and he was ready the entire time. He was calm. He was collected. It was the Daniel Ricciardo we've known from the past. And I think part of it is because McLaren was so dominant on this track. They were just so powerful that even if he was underperforming, he was still outperforming everyone else. So I don't know if we'll see a repeat of this throughout the rest of the season. I think he's still trying to get a hold of the car and trying to figure out how to drive it to his best. But I think this was a much-needed confidence boost. And I think it was proof that the racer, Daniel Ricciardo, is still out there. Yeah, I think so. Um, but like Asmara was saying, I, ho- I hope he carries this confidence and momentum. And you know, let, let, let's see where the rest of the season goes. Yeah. And uh, so... Wrapping up today, uh, we've kind of talked about a lot of different things. We talked about Dan Ricardo. We talked about the race. We talked about the future. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Yeah. Um, Asmar, do you have anything else? We should just uh, shout out Valtteri. Yeah. <laughs> shout out Valtteri. Yeah. Yeah. He had an incredible weekend. Have you seen? Have you seen on Twitter and things? There's all these like you know the the meme of the the girl. Uh, with the house on fire behind her. Yeah, yeah. There's all these people that are just, they're, they're either doing that with Valtteri and the, the recording <laughs> of Lewis and Max crashing behind, or yeah. they've got I've him looking the at it. Where it's like, oh no. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really yeah. good stuff. So How do we forget to talk about Valtteri the whole race? That's uh, crazy. He had an amazing thing, weekend. Yeah. He had, number one in uh, free practice one, started the sprint from one, ended one. Uh, then he took the engine penalty, started the back, finished on the podium. Incredible race for him. You know, dominant the entire time. And if it wasn't for probably Sergio Perez not following the rules, he probably <laughs> would have been, you know, winning too. So yeah, I don't know what Checo was thinking. He deserved that five-second penalty, every second of it. But, yeah, you, you guys have anything you want to say about Valtteri? Yeah, no, I just, uh, I mean, it was a shame how things ended up after uh, sprint quality because, you know, he had to start from the back of the grid, unfortunately. But, um, I mean, amazing drive from him. I'm sure that felt really good for him after, like, the, the couple of weeks he's had. And, um, 
I'm really happy for him. I, overall, I was really happy with the podium in general. Like, I think we didn't really talk much about Lando either, but that move he did on Leclerc after the safety car, uh, oh, yeah. the restart was insane. Because yeah. like, it just yeah, looks on the so grass. quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks so fast. Like, I find sometimes yeah. with overtakes, or just in general with the cars, you can't see how fast they're actually going. Like, you have no concept of it. Yeah. But that overtake legitimately looked like he was going so quick. It was yeah, so brilliant cool. move by him. Like, really, really great. cool. Uh-huh. Really good. Yeah. I forgot to tell you my other thing that I liked on social media. So one of my favorite things about the Pierre Gasly weekend was he put um, a post on Instagram and Twitter, which was, uh, <laughs> it, it was just a picture of himself. And then he put, today's going to be a good day or something like that. <laughs> and then uh, Alpha Tauri uh, like retweeted it with the caption, narrator's voice, but it was not a good day. <laughs> <laughs> You know who else had a really, like, potentially good day but not was Antonio Giovinazzi. We didn't really talk about him, but he was in Q3. He was starting eighth, which I think is the highest he's ever started in an Alfa Romeo, which is a very slow car, and then crashed out, like, four seconds into the race. Like, didn't make it a full lap, and he crashed out. So I don't know what was going on there. The man is fighting for his future and clearly not fighting for it well. Do you know who else had a – hilariously bad weekend uh nikita mazepin oh. who got a five second penalty for hitting his own teammate and they're both fighting for last place that that is the reverse title fight is nikita yeah. <laughs> fighting for last place and it's so intense like they don't even talk to each other anymore no. apparently like like they hate it like like Nikita Mazepin gets his dad involved, like to come in and like do stuff because his dad's a billionaire. But then Mick Schumacher gets his family involved, and he's from the Michael Schumacher like legacy, and it's just like such a crazy fight over like twentieth and nineteenth place, which is so funny. Well, my favorite statistic about Mazepin now is because Robert Kubica has come in for two races. Um, he gets classified in the drivers' championship, and I think he's finished fourteenth, one and fifteenth, or whatever. So that means now in a 20 driver championship, <laughs> Mazepin is ranked 21st. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> couldn't we're, couldn't we're be happening gonna... to a nicer guy. <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to get calls from the KGB tomorrow and we're going to have to edit this out of the podcast. Uh, Nikita Mazepin. And the sad thing is he's going to be in Formula One for a long time because oh, such a long time. Yeah, there's a big chance his dad is going to buy out Haas, which means no yeah. more American company, and then it's over for us. We got Nikita for a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, doesn't that make you appreciate Lance and Nikki like, way more? Yeah, I think, I think the thing about the, 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 the billionaire drivers is, you know, e- even when they're picking other people, like Alex Albon, you know, we were talking about earlier about, you know, is he a pawn or not? you have to be good enough on merit anyway. And then if you happen to come with money, that's great. It's like, you know, when we have college applications or whatever, you you have to have the grades, you have to be good enough. But then people put all this extra stuff on their CV. I did volunteering with, what's your t-shirt say? Leisure buddy or whatever it is. Um, I, you know, was the captain of my football team, whatever, you're, you're, you're bringing extra things. So when two guys appear that have, if you're just as competent and one of them's like, oh, by the way, my dad's a billionaire wants to s- sponsor you. It's like, oh, great. He's going to go with them, but they're not going to take someone who's rich, but d- doesn't have the ability. So, you know, we joke about Latifi and Lance Stroll, and I'm sure a part of that comes from a place of jealousy. Um, but I-, I-, I think they are competent. What we want in Formula One is 
you know, we don't want to exclude people just because they're billionaires, but we want a way for people that don't have those opportunities to be allowed yeah. in on merit as well. And as much as we make fun of the Red Bull meat grinder, there's seven, eight drivers on the grid now who wouldn't have been there had Red Bull not sponsored their junior yeah. careers. Um, and I think that's what we want. We want junior academies that are bringing through talent. Um, and, you know, if your dad's a billionaire, great. And if you're from a working class background, that should be fine too. It's, we want people there on merit. And yeah. Latifi and Stroll, I think, are very competent Grand Prix drivers that probably deserve their seats. Whereas Mazepin, I don't know. I, <laughs> the problem is, you know, we sit and judge him. He's clearly a better driver than me, so I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, I still feel <laughs> like I still feel like there's other drivers out there, like Calamilo or whoever else, that deserve that more. Yeah, I think that's a good place to end today. Uh, so, Arfat, want to sign us off today and talk about where so, we're going next? Thank you very much for listening. Remember to follow us on at Slow Pit Stop on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, we'll be back, I think next week, we'll be talking about the Schumacher documentary. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go to Russia. Well, we're not going to Russia, but we're going to talk about Russia, September 26th. Well, we might get to go to Russia if uh, Mazepin's dad kidnaps us. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Nikita. But yes, yeah, so the Russian Grand Prix is September 26th. Uh, that'll be the next time that we get to talk about a race. And hopefully, you know, the two title fighters don't knock each other out. But I don't know. Asmara, make a prediction. Your predictions come true. Quick. Uh, I will say that Lewis wins because I'm probably always going to say that. Just heads up. Um, and then um, I don't know what else happens. I, let's say Leclerc. Charles Leclerc is on the podium somewhere. I was literally just thinking that. I was thinking Hamilton, Bottas, Leclerc. Okay, let's let's go with that. Hamilton, Bottas, Leclerc, and Max finishes eleventh because oh, that would be. I was going to say fourth. <laughs> no, just outside the points. Okay. He gets stuck behind Latifi the entire race. Nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye, guys. <laughs>